your strategies of living, your flesh. Can I ask a volunteer, somebody to volunteer? You do it? Okay, please come. Yes, please. I want us to pay um, attention to this. We want to know how we all came about by our own unique form of flesh. I know that you, you may have marked a few of the uh, headings there, right? You, you all have done that? Yeah. Okay. Um, the exercise here is you recall the theme I mean, the movie clip that we had last week, you saw uh, the kid when he was 40 years old, you know, the type of flesh that he was manifesting. Uh, he said he was, what, an image consultant. He was so self-absorbed, uh, very uh, obsessed with his career, very impatient, uh, boastful, arrogant. He looks down on people. And then we were able to trace, he was taken back 40 years earlier when he was eight years old, uh, the experiences that he had, the trauma that he had, uh, his mother died. Uh, the father was telling him, stop crying, stop crying, telling him, boys don't cry, you know, stuff your emotions and all of that. And those gave messages, gave him messages that became his core beliefs that was now translated into the kind of um, flesh that he had I mean, in later years. So what we're going to do here is our sister has nicely volunteered to, um, for, us, for us to take a peer into your life because I'm going to go back to your childhood, your childhood because a lot if at all of our coping skills, they didn't start when you were an adult. It started when you were a child. You are growing up. You have significant people around you, your parents, your grandparents. The events or circumstances that you encountered during those early years, during your formative years, are the ones that bring messages and gives you some core beliefs, emotions, and then from those core beliefs and emotions, you act out. And that is the flesh. So if, if I may ask, uh, Sister, which, which of these did you um, indicate as something that um, you might be struggling with? The primary one that I checked was become a caretaker or rescuer. Mm -hmm. And also I checked... Um, become complacent, a nonchalant. Okay. So become a caretaker, a rescuer, um, complacent, and nonchalant. Mm -hmm. um, let's see the nonchalant. That's on the second page. It's on the second page. That's the third one down. Uh, second one down. Okay become complacent and nonchalant by saying things like, it doesn't matter, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And under the, the, uh, the caretaker and rescuer, which, which of those did you indicate as the ones that pertains to you? Um, sometimes I'm overprotective. Uh, I do try to prevent others' failure. I give unsolicited advice. Okay. And I become preachy, lecturing others. Okay. My kids say I, I nag. You what? My children say I nag. <laughs> children say you nag. Okay. Okay. Please, are we all paying attention? Yes. And um, whatever we discuss here should not leave that door. It stays, everything stays here, please, okay? Because these are personal things. Okay. All right. <clears throat> I'm going to ask you some, some personal questions, okay? Okay. Um, if I mention the words father and mother, mm -hmm. if I say mother, what, what comes to your mind immediately? 
my mother um, was from the South. Was what? From the South. From the South. From okay. Florida. Okay. And she always um, gave the impression that she was the sweetest Southern belle that you have ever met. Okay. But she had a rod of iron up her back, and she was a heavy disciplinarian, and um, she didn't take any junk from any of us. Okay. So if I mention the word mother, all you remember is strict disciplinary. Will, will that be right? Um, yes, and, and very concerned about her image. Very concerned about her image. Mm -hmm. Okay. So who were you closest with? Was it your mom or your dad? Hmm. I would probably say my father. Your father. Okay. So you were closest you were closer to your dad than your mom. Mm -hmm. So who was the disciplinarian in the home? Was it dad or mom? On a, on a consistent basis, it was my mother. And my father would discipline us occasionally, but um, he was more of a yeller. Okay. But my mother was the real disciplinarian. She, okay. she ran the house. Can you tell us about the, the personality of your dad? What, what, how would you describe your dad? My father was always known as being a character. Uh, my father de developed dementia. We found out that he had had it about 15 or 20 years before we even knew it okay. because his behavior was so um, outrageous sometimes, um, uh, outspoken, just kind of off the, you know, whatever came up, that we didn't even realize that there was a shift with the, with the mental illness. Okay. How, how old were you when you realized that your father had a problem? Well, I was, I was in my 50s by the time I realized that he was really, he was really far gone with the dementia. He was still able to function, but I, realized, I moved in with him for a while, so okay. I realized that he was not himself at least half the time at that point. Okay. If you put your memory back, what is the one event that you remember about, about your dad, your earliest memory, your earliest memory about your dad? Um, hmm. My father was a minister, and uh, he was a real fire and brimstone type minister. So that's some of my earliest memories. Okay. At, at, I mean, okay. some event, some event that, that impacted your life. I always felt that my father sacrificed our family for the ministry. And I say that because my, my grandfather was very wealthy. He was a builder. But my, my father, one of his specialties was church planning. And we ended up living in the back of several churches because we had no place else to live. So that's, that's an early memory of my father. We moved constantly. I went to 15 schools oh, wow. by the time I graduated from high school. Mm -hmm. And um, we lived in the back of a church in North Carolina. We lived in the back of a church in Alabama. Um, so that's some of my earliest memories that he would he would pack us up, move us, and then he'd get the best spot in the house and the rest of us crammed in wherever else we could go. So how do you feel about that? How, well, how, not good. How? I never could understand why my mother tolerated it because I wouldn't have. <laughs> so how did you feel about, you know, your father always moving and then you people have to live at the back of the house, um, uh, never giving you... Did you have quality time with him? Did I have? Quality time with him. Um, there was no such thing. There was? No such thing. No I mean, such there, thing? No. I didn't even, no. I mean, there was, that was not something that was anybody I knew talked about or uh -huh. practiced or, um, no. Did he ever spend time with you? Not by myself, no. So how do you feel about that? 
How did you feel about that then? I don't, I don't mean now. You are growing up. You know, your dad is a minister, fire, what do you say, fire? Fire, fire and brimstone. Okay. Is it, is it start that with this? Very legalistic. Very legalistic. Very traditional. Okay. So, um, so what kind of emotions, what kind of feelings did you have then about the situation? This here is a dad who never spent time with you. He's a minister. He's always on the road. You are always moving from one house to the other. I Change felt somewhat deprived because I... You we, felt we, deprived? Deprived because we couldn't do anything that other children did. Uh, we couldn't watch TV. Um, we couldn't go anyplace. The only time we went someplace was with my parents, mm -hmm. uh, which meant church usually, or to some person's house that was feeding us for dinner or something. Mm -hmm. um, but I just felt like, um, almost like I was being punished. You felt punished. Okay. Deprived, punished. Deprived. Um, sad, maybe? Sad, yeah, I would say sad. Were you ever angry? Um... You asked me one of my earliest memories. Yes. I'll give you this one. This is not a good one, but it's, it's one yeah, of my earliest those, memories. That is, I mean, I'm looking for trauma. Well, this was trauma. This okay. was big trauma and okay. trauma. Okay. Uh, my older sister, I have one older sister, okay. uh, became pregnant when she was, she was actually 14. She had a and, baby and, when she was 15. And how 15. old were you then? Uh, she's nine years older than me. So if she was 14, 14 so. now, is that right? Eight. No, that's not right. Uh, yes, yeah, seven or eight, yeah. You were eight then? Okay, so at eight years old, all right. So what happened then? My sister became pregnant. Okay. She was obviously not married. And my father went ballistic. Mm. And um, she would not say who the father of the child was. And so he beat her and beat her and beat her. And at one point, we were living, I don't know where we were living at the time, but we had a wood stove that my mother used to cook on. And there was a kettle of water on the stove boiling. And he took that, he beat her until she was on the floor. And he took that kettle of water and started to pour it on her. And she rolled over and missed it. And at that point, finally, my mother spoke up and said, that's enough. That's probably the earliest memory I have of him. How did you Absolutely. feel about that? I thought it was horrible. I, I, I couldn't believe he would do that. I mean, how can you get that angry that you would pour water on, boiling water on somebody? I didn't fully understand it. So you were, if I say, confused? I was confused. I was shocked. I really felt badly for my sister. Um, but I couldn't understand how, I, I probably could not have articulated it at the time, but mm -hmm. thinking back, I prob I didn't understand how someone that was supposed to be a minister could mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. So what did that say about you, about you? What, what? did you get from that incident? It scared me. About you scared? Yeah, it scared me. Mm -hmm. um, and um, it didn't give me uh, warm and fuzzy feelings towards either of my parents because I thought my mother, the fact that my sister was beaten until she was on the floor and. She, I couldn't understand why my mother didn't speak up earlier. So I guess I've always felt like I have to fend for myself. I have to fend for myself. Mm -hmm. What other message did you get from that event? I have to fend for myself. I don't have warm, fuzzy feelings about parents. What other? What other message did you get from that event about yourself? 
About myself? Yes, not about your sister now, but about yourself. Well, if it happened to her, it could happen to me. It can happen to what, me. What would trigger him doing something similar mm -hmm. to me? So I didn't feel protected, I guess. That's the word I don't use. So what did you do? What did I do? Mm -hmm. I now, do how, did you, how did you cope with that? You don't feel protected? You don't feel loved by your parents? And... Um, you have to fend for yourself, so, so what did you do? In many ways, I became, um, in many ways, not totally, but in many ways, I became kind of a good kid. I got, you know, good you grades. A good kid, okay. I got, got good grades. My father always um, would openly um, make comments about me getting pregnant, too. He, he was so sure I would have a baby, too. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I excelled in school because at school, all my teachers thought I was great. But I also shut down uh, because of the moving, because of that, I would think because of that event too, I kind of shut down. What I didn't talk a lot. Down? I didn't talk a lot. You didn't talk a lot. Now you can't shut me up, but, <laughs> but I didn't talk a lot. I, I became introverted. Introverted? Yes. Um. Withdrawn? Um, not withdrawn to the point that I was moody or anything. Okay. I just didn't talk a lot. Another issue that I have is that um, there was no money for doctors. And I had, um, apparently I had the chicken pox and the measles at the same time. Mm. And they poured, you know, they prayed over the oil, olive oil and warmed it up and poured it in my ear. But at some point I lost my hearing. Mm. Um, so all of that together, I just, I kind of shut down. I didn't talk very much. Um, I was not allowed to have friends too much out of the house anyway, so I didn't really so have friends. Pretty much by yourself? Except for my siblings. There were seven of us. Okay. All right. Did you all follow what I was doing here? Okay. Uh, um, thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much. <clears throat> just, just from the dad alone, because usually, usually the, you know, the parents or the significant people that will impact you most are the ones you are closest with, and you will always, almost generate your flesh from traumatic experiences that you've had, from the traumas that you've experienced, from significant people in your life. Now let me recap um, what went on here. The dad was the closest person to him, to her. The dad was a minister. And the very first thing she, she said was that she sacrificed the family. In other words, uh, you know, the family was kind of secondary to what um, he was doing. And then from that event, from one event, which, which was, uh, that happened when you were eight years old and your sister, your older sister was pregnant. And your father was so angry and not only did he beat her, but took a kettle of boiling water and was about to pour on, on her. Now, what were the feelings that were generated in her? The feelings. You know, the feelings deprived. She felt deprived. She felt punished, shocked, confused, scared. And these are not very warm feelings, are they? Those are not good feelings. They're not very warm feelings. Um, how about the beliefs? The beliefs that she had from this event. No warm feelings about parents. In other words, my parents do not love me. I have to fend for myself. I have to fend for myself. I am not protected.
So if you grew up with that kind of belief, because as a child, children are quick to get information. You know, if you tell a child something, they can quickly grasp it, but they cannot edit it. So when you tell a child that I am going to buy you a jet plane, the child, the child believes it. And if you buy him or her a toy, he thinks that is a jet plane. So they cannot edit the information that you feed them with, but they can grasp it. And so if a child at eight years feels that, that, that she is not protected, what do you think she would do? So the beliefs were, my parents do not love me, therefore I have to fend for myself. You see how the flesh comes in there? I have to fend for myself. I am not protected. And then I asked her, so what did you do? He said, I had to become a good kid. I had to be good. So that parents, so dad, <laughs> I would not end up on the floor and dad would try to pour hot water on me. I have to be good. I became introverted. It was self-absorbed. I shut down. I don't have to talk to people. You see how the flesh is developed. Hmm? Is there any wonder that she marked a rescuer? I become a caretaker. Let's go to page 35. Let's see whether we can relate that flesh with her experiences, with her childhood experiences. She's becoming overprotective, taking responsibility for others' feelings, becoming overly responsible, making decisions for others, giving unsolicited advice, trying to prevent others' failures, becoming possessive, trying to find someone who needs me and who I can, I can rescue, nagging, talking too much, and listening poorly. <laughs> but for somebody who shuts down and uh, is not uh, communicating, that, that, that doesn't come in right, talking too much and listening poorly, because you, 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 you do talk sometimes. So at least you grew out of not communicating to... Well, I've grown out of a lot of that. That's right. Thank God. Thank God. Amen. For, Amen. For, you know, the, the progressive work of the Holy Spirit. That's right. So I've grown out of a lot of, of the stuff that I probably would have marked in the past. Right. But, um, you know, some of my siblings are still struggling more than I do. Okay. Okay. That's right. That's right. That's right. I don't do all of these. Mm -hmm. um, I don't try to find someone who needs me again. Right, right. But I do try to present other stories. I do give unsolicited advice. That's right. That's right. And sometimes I can become preachy or preachy. Okay. Would that be from your dad because because he was a preacher too? Probably. That's right. That's right. Yes. Introversion is um, introversion. I don't know if that's a word. Um, is it necessarily being self-absorbed? I thought that could be from being shy or not too sure of yourself, being insecure. That could make people to be introverted like internalized stuff, they're not very vocal. You are self-absorbed, you know. Um, shyness could be a part of that. Um, you're always self-analytical. You're always analyzing yourself. Okay. I thought when people are introverted, as opposed to extroverted, uh -huh. I, I thought extroverts, like, they could talk a lot and they, they can express themselves very well and right. they are like social butterfly or whatever. Uh -huh. I thought introverts are like those people that are really quiet and they may yes. see something happening but they are not talking about it but it doesn't mean that 
adult self absorb has like a negative connotation like you think too much of yourself and you may not be talking just because maybe you feel like you're better than others or like that's what I thought self-absorption or self-absorbed mean, meant. So if, you, if, you, if, you, are you, if you look at the first page, uh, self-absorbed, be becoming overly introspective, feeling sorry for myself, engaging in self, engaging in self, in self-pity and all of that. There are some aspects of introvertedness, introvertedness there. You are now focused on this. Whether, whether it is introvertedness or self-absorbed, as long as you are doing that out of your own strength as a coping mechanism, is a flesh. Okay. Is flesh. Did you did you mark any of this? No, 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 I said, did you indicate any of this? There are some of them. Silent treatment, okay. So that, so. No, no, I didn't, I didn't, I just said if you, if you marked any of this. Okay, okay. Yes. I don't know if this is the right time for me to talk about Please, this, please. Anyway, By all means. I have known Diane for over 25 years. Oh, on the 30th, uh, we, we are going to celebrate. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I see a lot of this concerning habit. I'm looking at trying to prevent others' failure. Okay. Uh, that, I, I don't know, help a lot of people. You know, uh, becoming a busybody or becoming too involved in others' affairs. I think, I think, especially those two in particular. Yeah. Especially when you were in Providence at Beacon Avenue. I think, I think those were strengths that help a lot of us. You know, uh, trying to prevent others' failure. She, she never, if she knows something and you are in need of information, especially somebody like me, you know, like the rest of us that were not born in this culture and we arrive here with, um, uh, I arrived here with five kids. I really did not know much. And without her trying to prevent <laughs> failure and trying to, uh, uh, I didn't see her as a busybody becoming involved in my affairs, but she, really was somebody that God put in my path to help me through. So I, 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 it's, it's difficult for me to look at that as flesh. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm just being honest. Yes. I'm just <laughs> being honest. But, but I can see, especially from the American point of view, with, which may be part of the larger society's problem, that if, if people try to, they, they don't want somebody, don't tell me what to do, mm -hmm. you know. Sometimes you have to realize that you don't know and you allow somebody to suggest or, you know, direct. So, uh, I, I know I always solicited advice from her and she gave, and I do realize that some of these things did give her a bad name. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now you're talking. You see the flesh? You see the flesh? If you recall the origin of the flesh, it was from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Good and evil. So you might do good, but it's not out of, it's not from God. Your source is not from God. You are doing this out of your own strength. So whether you are doing good or you are doing evil is still from the flesh and does not give you any eternal value as far as God is concerned. It doesn't produce life. So there is good, there is evil. There are, there are flesh like we talked about that is you know, well adjusted 
and you think, oh, this is, this is good. But it's from the flesh. And nothing good, you know, like Paul said, comes out of the flesh. Does that make sense? Okay, yes. Yes, uh, Sister Grace. I think what uh, Sister Grace is trying to say is, is it possible yeah. for the flesh, um, I know we say flesh is bad, but the example she gave mm -hmm. was this fr uh, flesh that was programmed that was useful to others. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you might say that those are positively programmed f flesh. Mm -hmm. Now, if they are beneficial to people, if you are using it to help people like uh, sister did to her, mm -hmm. um, is, is that bad? Not that the flesh. I know the flesh is bad because <laughs> of its origin. Right, right. But what that flesh is doing. Yes. That's not bad. It's not bad. It's, it's just, it's, uh, you see. Uh, the origin, the, the, yeah, the origin of it is about how she developed it mm -hmm. to come with that. Mm -hmm. But now, as a believer, you know, she found herself in that position, and then she's using it to benefit others. No, no, no. The motive, that's right. The motive. The motive, yes. <laughs> Why is she doing that? Is it to get her worth from that? From it. Okay. Is it to get her worth from that? Is it is it to get praise from that? Is that is it? I'm not I'm not saying that as a believer you cannot help. Is it motive, and where is it coming from? Where is it coming from? Is it coming from your dependence on Christ as the one who is meeting your need for worth? Yes. As I grew as a Christian, right. some of those same things I continue to do, but from a different perspective. From a different and perspective. And a different motive. So right. when I helped out Grace and her family, That's right. it was because, you know, we were working together um, right. and I saw that she, there was a need. That's right. So whatever I could do to help her get her family here and get settled and mm -hmm, all that, mm -hmm. I did it. Not because I wanted it to That's be seen. That's not flesh. That's right. Um, not because I wanted any accolades or That's anything right. like that, but just simply because as a sister in Christ, Christ, yes. I felt that's what I should do. Yes. So, that but there are flesh. still people yes. that you think are in the same church or in, the, or in your family that's right. that will hate you for that. They don't like that. They misinterpret that's right. That's right. That's right. So it's, 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 I mean, it's not, I mean, like, like the person that he asked, you know, the philanthropist, the philanthropist, you know, these people who are stark unbelievers, and they give money, they give money to churches, they give, they build, yes, they are doing something good, huh? <laughs> but it's from the flesh. It's from the flesh. Okay. Um, any other person, uh, at the back there, did you, what did you, you want to disclose something that others might learn? <coughs> okay. <coughs> I want to, I want to, um, there, there, are, there, are, there are two ways, there are two ways that the flesh can be nurtured. It's either one is negatively programmed, I call that negatively programmed flesh. Oh, this is off. Rasan. If this is off. Yeah. So, okay, it's on now. Thank you. Negatively programmed flesh or, posit or positively programmed. Negatively programmed or positively programmed. The negatively programmed flesh. You are growing up in a home and you have all these messages of rejection. You have trauma, like she had a trauma. Okay. Uh, messages of re rejection uh, that leaves these types of um, emotions. Anxiety. 
the feeling of worthlessness, the feeling of incompetence, you feel insignificant, you feel unacceptable, you feel like you are a failure, you feel hopeless, helpless, unloved, used. These are all emotions. And suppose you were growing up with that type of emotions. We're growing up with that type of emotions. How about your mind? What are the beliefs that you have about yourself, about God, and about others? You see, the mind will begin to have a distorted view of God, a distorted view of yourself, and a distorted view of what you have a wrong concept of God. I mean, if, if, if you are growing up with all these emotions, anxiety, the feeling of worthlessness, is hopeless. I'm hopeless. I'm, I am I am honest. In fact, the because beliefs will always follow emotions. You can add if you always feel anxious, you can say I am anxious. That's a belief. I am worthless. That's a belief. I am incompetent. Think of into the kind of flesh that such a person will have. If you're always feeling incompetent and you say, I am incompetent, I am inadequate, what do you think this person will have as a fleshly coping skills? Of course, the will will always choose to depend on the flesh. Self-pity. Escapism. I wouldn't want to go around with those emotions because they are very heavy emotions. They weigh down on you. So I have to do something to escape the pain. You see, these are, these are people that escape into things that will try to medicate that pain. Uh, escape into alcohol. Um, just to escape the pain of feeling unworthy. Withdraw. I withdraw from, from people because if I get too close to people, uh, you know, they will know that I'm carrying this, right? They will find out that I am so insecure, that I am so, I am so inadequate. So I withdraw. And those are the people that become self-absorbed, introverted, they just withdraw. And we say that they are anti-social. Control. See, they have to develop some behavior that controls things because they don't want people to see that, to control things around them. They don't want people to see that. And that's where they can become control freaks. Performance-based acceptance. She said she became a good kid. And the reason she became a good kid is that your dad will accept you. So I perform in order to be accepted. If I perform well, people will love me. And you know what? We transfer this. We transfer this to God. We transfer this flesh to God. Yes. Um, the sad thing is that PTA performance-based Yes. Yes, yes. When I got my MBA degree. Okay. I was good then. I was a good daughter. I was, I was, you know, in a, a, a good place with him at that point. Right. So, and since he was a, a very uh, traditional minister, right. you know, God Legalistic. always mm -hmm. standing over your head mm -hmm. for you to mess up. That's the view I had of God for a long time. That's right. That's right. That's and right. God is just waiting for you to mess up. That's right. That's right. So, so you end up with a distorted view of God. That it was like, a, you know, a policeman, you know, a surgeon major waiting to, you know, to slap you. You felt unloved by God. You see how we transfer that? We project that image 
of our parents to God. We have a distorted view of God, a distorted view of ourselves, a distorted view of others. All right, so that is a negatively programmed flesh. Self-pity, escapism, withdrawal, control, performance-based acceptance. We transfer it to the church. You know, I say these are the kinds of people that, you know, in the church, I mean, you do everything to get the pastor's approval. You know, things that you wouldn't want to do. So that the pastor says, who would volunteer? Your hands are up. But you really don't like to do that thing. But you just want to do it so that you get the pastor's approval. Huh? That's right. What 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 does that mean? I'm hearing that for the first time. Oh, okay. That's just what I discovered. Always trying to do something, you know, you know, so that because because you get your worth from that. You get your worth from you don't get your worth from God. You get your worth from that. That is that is a flesh. Okay. So that is a negatively programmed flesh, a rejection, uh, uh, a trauma in your life. Now, the other word, now, when a person depends upon his strength to cope with present pressures and past rejection, the result is ultimately conflict and frustration. It always ends up with that, conflict and frustration, because you are taking you are getting your worth from the wrong place. Your worth is only from God. Now let's see the, uh, the positively programmed flesh. Positively programmed. Now, this person does not have as many rejective um, experiences as a negatively programmed person. You are in a home. You are loved. Your parents are well-to-do. You have everything that you need. You know, all you need to say, just open your mouth and it's brought to you. Okay. Um, so these are the kinds of feelings in a, in a positively programmed flesh. Strong. You know, confident. Competent. You feel competent. You feel significant. You feel successful. You feel secure. You feel worthy. You feel loved. Is there anything wrong with those? Nothing. Those emotions. Hmm? But because this is not of God, see what is in your mind. You still have a distorted view of God. You still have a distorted view about yourself. You still have a distorted view about others. Your feelings, you are strong, competent. In fact, these are the kinds of, this is the type of emotions that uh, people that are negatively programmed, they want to have that, right? I want to have that kind of feeling, you know, that I'm strong, I'm confident, I'm competent, but you know what? You can add self to all of those. Self-strength, self-competent, self-adequacy has nothing to do with God. See the kind of flesh that this person will have. Of course, the will will choose to depend on the flesh. Pride. Pride sets it. These are people that are very, very arrogant. Because these are people that say, I don't need God. I'm strong. I don't need God. These are people who say, heaven help those that help themselves. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. You know, I'm good, I'm strong, I pray nine times a day, you know, and I come to the pulpit. In fact, I shout so much that God that is deaf, he would, he would listen to me. Yeah, there's so much pride, self-righteousness. Another one, control. I want to control things around me. After all, I'm good. These are people that, uh, I mean, every employer would want to employ such a person because he's strong, he's competent, he's confident. But everything is self. 
performance-based acceptance. These are people that are workaholics. Workaholics. So, when they have, you see, God always does things that you will come to the end of this because it will bring circumstances around you just so that you will know where you are operating from. So whether we are negatively programmed or positively programmed, it's flesh, it's what God does. God loves negatively programmed, positively programmed, and he will do everything that it takes to bring us to the end of that self-life. How does he do it? He wants to reveal the bankruptcy. He wants to let you know that these things do not work. It might work for some time, but when the pressure mounts, when the pressure mounts, you will see the ineffectiveness of this flesh. I look around this 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 church, you know, the, you know this family, and I, I can I can always pick out <laughs> into the coping skills of some of us, including me. Coping skills, and some of us are so argumentative, you know, it's, 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 it's got to be my way or the highway. Has to be my way or the highway. Um, some of us that are just self-pity, low self-esteem. And some of us that are so strong. There was a teacher that I had. He said some of us are stronger than one acre of garlic. You know, garlic produces a very strong odor. <laughs> They're so strong that God cannot use them. They're too strong. See? So God will bring us to a place where we will see the bankruptcy, the bankruptcy of this flesh, that it doesn't, doesn't work. If you are, I mean, if you are so strong in your home, I mean, what I've seen in, in my office is that people that have this, you know, the positively programmed, God will use one of the children to break them. Yeah. The behavior of one of the children to break them, to bring them down and say, hey, Lord, I need it. Because these are people that say, I don't need God. I'm strong enough. I can do it. In fact, some of them even say, well, uh, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Christ is just coming by their side. You know, just, I will need you. When I need you, I will call you. But now I can handle this. I got it. I can handle this. Yes. Yes. So there are people that are in between. Some aspect yeah. of their lives are negatively programmed. Yes. And some aspect they are positively programmed. So yes. it's like they are in between yes. the two. That's true. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. You have you have uh, rejective uh, events in your life. You might receive love from your mom, but from your dad, you are receiving a different thing. And so you have a combination of both. And of course, the flesh, the coping skills you have, some will be negative and some will be positive. You can see pride, but you can also see on some other occasions self self pity. Uh, you can see control, you can see uh, you know, performing to be accepted, and so on and so forth. So that is, that, is, that is a mixture. But the end of it all is always, it's a flesh. And God will do everything to bring you to the end of yourself. Does that make sense? All right. So, um, we are going to go on this next uh, week. We're now going to talk about how do we, what, what, what avenues or what has God done so that we can overcome this, okay? Because God wants us to exchange that life for his life. Exchange our self-life for Christ's life that is already in us.
Amen. Amen. So next uh, uh, Wednesday, we will start off with this. What do we my exchange life? Okay, because the self-life doesn't produce life. It always ends in conflict and frustration. It's only the life of Christ that is a victorious life. Do we have any questions? We are ending. Um, do we have any questions, comments? Any comments? All right. If there are no questions, then, all right. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so it's all fair enough. All right. Okay. Yes, I get it. <laughs> Bend with one knee. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for, um, for this study. Um, revealing our coping skills, revealing our flesh, the strategies that we have used to, to meet our needs for love, for worth, for acceptance, for security. Um, not trusting you to meet these needs. Father, as you reveal these things to us, reveal also the fact that you have provided a way out of this. And that is the work of the cross. Um, thank you for, your, for our salvation, for our sanctification, um, for our redemption. We praise you, Father, that by the single work of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, we overcame the flesh, we overcame Satan, and we overcame the world. So we praise you. As we go home, Father, we go home, we go under your protection and your care. Um, bring us back on Sunday. Uh, help us in all that we do that we will glorify your name in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.